welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. On this episode, our executive pastor, David Hardy, continues in our series through Galatians. If you want to watch this video of this message or listen to this week's worship, you can do so on our website, brookwoodchurch.org, or you can do all that more on our Brookwood app. We pray that this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. Yes, good news. Grace wins. Yes, every time. Thank you. Good morning. Thanks so much for being with us today. My name's David Hardy, and I'm going to be continuing our passage-by-passage walk through the book of Galatians as we continue our series called Living Free. Uh, We'll be in Galatians chapter 2. Looking at verses 11 through 21 today, and I'll be using the New Living Translation of the Bible that we make available here, which you can also find on the Brookwood app. We'll also have verses on the screens today. I want to take a minute just to ask God to speak to us today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the presence of Your Spirit with us. We thank You for the sacrifices of the many people who gave their lives so that we could worship freely here today. And we thank you for Jesus, his sacrifice, so that we could be free in you. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us today, that your spirit would share with us what you want us to know. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you a question as if I'm asking uh, each individual. What if we chose you today to show a movie of your life, including everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever said. Would you want to edit that before we show it? Yes. You think it might make you feel a little guilty if you watch that? How many would feel a little guilty, you think, on parts of that? Yes. Yes. Me as well. I would. You know, Regardless of who you look to as your God or your higher power or the force in the universe, likely for you, as for me, there's this feeling inside that we need to do something to alleviate our guilt and to be right with our God. And that's the issue Paul is addressing with the Galatian church in this this letter we're going through. Do I trust in what God has done to alleviate my guilt? Or do I trust in what I can do to alleviate my guilt? Another question, do you think it's important that we're unified with other believers? Yes, Jesus prayed for that in John 17. He prayed that we would be one so that the world would believe that the Father sent Him to earth. So it's important that we're unified. Unity matters, but what unifies us matters as well, because unity without truth is not real unity. So in the early church, in this uh, study of Galatians, in the early church, especially in Jerusalem, there were some disagreements. There were some things that they weren't unified about, and there were these Jewish believers called Judaizers, and you've If you've been here the last few weeks, you've heard about the Judaizers. They were 
legalistic Jews who claimed to follow Christ. They believed that He was the Messiah, but they were also teaching that a Gentile or a non-Jew had to be circumcised according to the tradition of the law of Moses before they could be saved. And they had to continue to observe the Old Testament law in order to maintain a relationship with God. So there was some disagreement over whether we rely on faith in Christ, faith in Christ alone to make us right with God, or whether we have to do something extra in order to be right with God. And so in Galatians 2, Paul is seeking to maintain unity in the church while still upholding the truth regarding how we are made right with God. And Paul's steps for maintaining unity in the truth are also good steps for us to take to maintain unity through any disagreement. So we maintain unity in the truth first by confronting face-to-face, confronting face-to-face. In the early passages in Galatians 2, which J.C. taught from the last couple of weeks, Paul affirmed his authority as an apostle, an apostle being one who had direct contact with Jesus, who was continuing to hear from Jesus, and who had been sent by Jesus to share the good news of salvation by faith in Christ. Paul had also noted his unity with the other apostles, specifically Peter, James, and John, who were leaders of the church in Jerusalem. They had all agreed that there was no need to expect the Gentiles who were becoming Christians, no need to expect them to follow the Jewish laws, and that becoming right with God only required faith in Christ, which was also saying to the Gentiles, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian, which was more good news for them. So in today's passage, Paul tells what happened when Peter, one of the apostles, came to visit the church in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas co-pastored the first church in a Gentile area. Verse 11, Paul says, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very wrong. We're going to get into the issue, the reason he was opposing him, but basically After Peter and the apostles had agreed on this statement about Gentiles not having to do anything in addition to having faith in Christ, Peter's actions are showing a different philosophy than what they had agreed to. And likely the other people there could see that there was a philosophy difference between Paul, who's the leader of the church in Antioch, and Peter, who's one of the key leaders of the whole Christian church in the world. And he's saying this issue is so important that Paul is having to address Peter on the issue. It would be like me addressing Perry on an issue. It'd be like Perry's preaching and I stand up over here and say, I'm sorry, I disagree. Let me set you straight. And so Paul is disagreeing with Peter because it's a, it's a big issue. So what options does Paul have? Peter's come to visit him at his church. They've had agreement, but now there's disagreement. So one option Paul has is avoidance. We can just sweep this under the rug, or we can try to uh, get Peter transferred out of here, help, help him exit quickly. But that's not going to take care of the problem. How does that maintain unity? The disagreement's still there. 
And how does it uphold truth if people, other people are seeing that there's a philosophy difference? How, do, how, do the, how does the church know what's true if we don't clear it up? So avoidance is, is not a good strategy when there is disagreement or an issue. Another option that Paul had was to gather an army or to gather a bunch of people together, go and talk to everybody else and try to get everybody on his side before he talks to Peter. But that doesn't bring unity. It just brings more division and involves everybody else in the division. And it doesn't show dignity to the person we have a problem with. It doesn't help us reach agreement on the truth. But when I address an issue, if I've got an issue with somebody, a disagreement, a problem, when I address them face to face, I'm already taking a step toward unity by honoring the other person, just by, by going to them in person and being clear about what the issue is and making an effort toward reaching some agreement or at least clarifying what is this issue and what is the truth regarding this issue. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, if you've got an issue or problem with another believer, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. You've taken a step toward unity. And so Paul wants to maintain unity, so he goes to Peter and he gets face to face. Now, face-to-face doesn't mean Facebook, it doesn't mean text, it doesn't mean email. It means face-to-face, in person, so people can see the heart behind what you're saying. In fact, in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus suggests that seeking this unity is even more important than coming to worship. It's a higher priority than coming to worship. So is there an issue... Is there a disagreement that you have with someone today? What would you think would be your best next step toward maintaining unity? I would suggest get face-to-face with them. It's a simple step. Get face-to-face. And once you get face-to-face, then maintain unity in the truth by, second, clarifying the issue clarifying the issue. What's the issue that we're dealing with, and why is it so important? Now, if the issue is more about my preferences, then maybe I need to chill, swallow my pride, and forgive. Colossians 3.13 says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So there's a balance in dealing with an issue with other people. The Lord calls us to forgive as well. So my suggestion is if you've got an issue with somebody else, before before approaching them, try rating the issue. Try giving a, 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 a number to that issue on a scale of 1 to 10. One being more about my preferences, ten being more about truth or the truth of the gospel. If it's more about my preferences, then likely my step is to forgive the offense. If the issue is more about truth, then my step may be to confront. 
Paul's issue here is a matter of truth. So he clarifies the issue he has with Peter in verse 12 of Galatians 2. He says, when he first arrived, or when Peter first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. So Paul is starting by affirming the initial behavior of Peter. It was good that he was socializing, eating with the Gentile Christians, basically showing that they're accepted and uh, they don't have to follow the dietary laws um, that were being suggested by the uh, Jewish believers. It's an excellent way to enter confrontation is to first look for something to affirm. Consider what can I show that I appreciate about this other person. That's a good first step when confronting. And so he's saying Peter initially is treating the Gentiles as equals, as fellow believers. He's likely eating whatever the Gentiles are. regardless of whether it adhered to the Jewish laws regarding diet. And Peter had significant background uh, with affirming the Gentiles. He had significant background with realizing that it doesn't matter what you eat in order to become a Christian. He heard Jesus say in Mark chapter 7 that what you eat doesn't defile you, but it's what comes out of the heart is what defiles you. And God had spoken to Peter in a dream in Acts 10, uh, telling Peter not to call unclean what God has made clean. And he moved Peter to go and share the gospel with a Gentile named Cornelius. And then in Acts 15, Peter had spoken against the Judaizers who were saying that Gentiles had to follow the Jewish laws in order to be fully Christians. So Peter was all in with the Gentiles. He had a background of affirming them as believers and telling them that it was simply faith in Christ alone that was required for them to become Christians. But further in verse 12, Paul clarifies what his issue is with Peter. He says, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. His actions changed. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. These friends of James were the Judaizers. They were from the church in Jerusalem where James, the brother of Jesus, was was a leader. Now, just because these Judaizers were friends of James doesn't mean that James held to their belief. In fact, James had confirmed that They shouldn't add more expectations on the Gentiles other than faith in Christ in order to be saved. So when these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers came around, then Peter changed his actions and he began to hang around with them and he quit eating with the Gentiles. He was basically showing by his actions that the Gentiles weren't quite as holy as they needed to be. Why did he stop hanging around with the Gentiles. It tells us there. He was just afraid of criticism. Now, Peter had been in situations where his life was threatened because of his faith in Christ, but now he's changing his actions just because he's afraid of criticism. He's afraid of what others might think about what he's doing. Who can identify with Peter? You've said you have trust in Christ, but have your actions ever shown that you didn't have as much trust in Christ as you thought? 
most of us could identify, including me. Can you imagine how the Gentiles felt? Peter had affirmed them. He had associated with them. He had eaten with them. And then when these other Jewish Christians came, he changed his actions toward these Gentile, these new Gentile believers. It was like saying, yeah, they became Christians, but they, they still aren't quite as spiritual, not as holy as those of us who carry out the Old Testament laws. They're not circumcised. They, they don't eat the clean foods. They're, they're just not quite as spiritual as we are. The truth is, and we'll hear more of this as we study Galatians, before salvation, every person is equally separated from God. And after salvation, every person is equally reconciled to God. So what was the result of Peter's actions? Why was it so important that this issue be addressed? Let's look at verse 13. It says, as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. By his actions, Peter caused others in that church, specifically the Jewish believers, to follow his example. Now, he may not have been saying that Gentiles had to follow the Jewish laws in order to be Christians, but by his actions, he was supporting that belief. True faith is expressed in how we live, not just what we say or even what we think. And in that church, even Barnabas, who was one of the fellow pastors of the church of Antioch, he also joined in hanging out with those who were saying the Gentiles had to follow the Jewish laws. What kind of rift do you think was happening in that church? Do you think there was some hurt, some heartache, some division? So it's a, it's a tough situation. The unity of the church was at stake, and the true message of the gospel was at stake as well. So someone had to speak up. Someone had to confront Peter and clarify the issue. For those of us who trust Christ, do we ever act like we don't have as much trust in Christ as we thought? Why do we do that? Why do we sometimes put more stock in what others think or in what we feel than in what Christ tells us? What does that show us? Maybe we don't trust Christ as much as we thought. So how can we avoid living like we don't trust Christ? It may be helpful to have somebody like a Paul in our life, somebody who's willing to lovingly point out steps we're taking away from Christ, whether it's a mentor or a buddy or a small group, to help us realize our actions may be affecting others in ways we don't comprehend. So after Paul clarifies this issue with Peter, he seeks to maintain unity in the truth by continuing in the Word of God, continuing in the Word of God. If you're having a disagreement with somebody or an issue with somebody, after you clarify the issue, go to a separate source of authority other than yourself, like the Word of God. That can be helpful. It turns both of us toward another authority rather than trying to prove that I'm right. 
So Paul clarifies the issue again, and he shows that his issue is not a matter of preference, but it's a matter of the truth of the gospel. Verse 14, Paul says, when I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel message, they being Barnabas, Peter, the Jewish believers, I said to Peter in front of all the others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? So Paul is basing his issue on the anchor of the gospel message, and that gospel message being that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, a narrow way. And in withdrawing from the Gentiles, Peter and the Jewish believers are showing that they're not living according to the truth of this gospel message, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. And since Peter had not renounced his actions in public, then Paul had to address him in public, in front of everyone, so that the Word of God would be upheld and that the church would come together in unity. So Paul affirmed again that Peter was no longer living as bound by the Jewish law. That's good. But then he asked, why are you trying to force the Gentiles to live by the Jewish law? And then Paul continues with an explanation of truth from Scripture. He continues in the Word of God. Verse 15, he says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. So at first he says, he identifies these two classifications that the Jews are thinking of. He's saying that we Jews have been born into a classification of people who are the chosen people of God. We've been born as the chosen people of God. And we have a system of laws that should help us move into a right standing with God. So that's how we've been classified. These Gentiles, on the other hand, have been classified as sinners. They were born as sinners. They were not born as people of God, nor were they born into a system that can help them move toward a right standing with God. But then he says this, as he identifies the distinction that the Jewish people have between the Jewish Jews and Gentiles, he says this, yet... We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Either way, whether Jew or Gentile, regardless of the classification you were born into, none of us can be made right with God by obeying the Old Testament law. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, our trust in Jesus. So Paul states the same thing in three different ways. He first gives a general statement speaking as an apostle of Jesus. He says, a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, 
not by obeying the law. And then he gives a personal statement from his own experience, and he includes all the Jewish believers and Peter in this statement. And he says, and we, we have believed in Christ Jesus, you and me, Peter, you and me, Galatians, you and me, Barnabas, so that we might be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, not because we've obeyed the Old Testament law. And then he gives a universal statement about everybody. He says it again, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. He states it over and over again. In Romans 4.13, for those who might say, well, there was a time in the Old Testament where they were justified by the law. No, there wasn't. Romans 4.13, Paul states clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants, which happened before the law even existed, was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. It's always been by faith that we become right with God. So what is faith in Christ? Why would I care about being made right with God? Well, you can have life as it is, but you could enjoy life as it could be. So who will I put my trust in to enjoy life as it could be? Will I put my trust in my own abilities to give myself life as it could be, or will I trust someone else? Let me illustrate. Years ago, uh, my in-laws, Fenton and Mary Moorhead, lived in Houston, Texas, and we enjoyed going to visit them. And uh, I wanted to go to a Houston Rockets basketball game. Uh, and it just so happened that Fenton and Mary had a connection with a lady who worked in the front office of the Houston Rockets. Now, I had a choice on how I could get to the game. I could rely on myself and my limited funds, and I could buy a ticket to the game and sit in the nosebleed section. I could spend a bunch of money on snacks, and then I could wait an hour in, in the parking lot to, uh, to get out. Or I could put my trust in Fenton and go with him and put my trust in his connection and get a VIP parking pass, no waiting, sit in the hospitality suite and eat all the food I wanted for free, sit on the floor and recognize the players' faces, all for no cost to me. I could have life as it is trusting myself or life as it could be trusting in Fenton. Now, I'm not saying that when we trust our lives to Jesus Christ, that it means we get free tickets to sports events or that we even have a comfortable, comfortable life. But I am saying that a life of trusting God can give us life as it could be that I can't attain on my own. A life of trusting God includes a life of peace, of joy, contentment, real love, and it also includes eternal life. Who am I going to trust for life as it could and should be? I want to put my trust in Christ, not in what I can do, and continue in the Word of God for guidance, and then maintain unity in the truth by counting on the work of Jesus Christ. 
continue counting on the work of Jesus Christ. Now, again, if you're in a disagreement with somebody, you've got an issue with somebody, don't count on your ability to persuade them to your way of thinking. Count on the work of Jesus Christ. Continue in the Word of God, present that, then count on the work of Christ to change their heart, their mind. And Paul is emphasizing in Galatians 2 that we must count on the work of Jesus for salvation and also on the work of Jesus in our lives to continue to change us. Verse 17, he says, but suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we've abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin because we're not obeying the law? He says, absolutely not. Rather, I'm a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. So he's saying, what if we're placing our trust in Christ for salvation and then we're not doing the law? Uh, Jewish believers, are you calling me a sinner now? Are you saying that Christ has led us into sin because we're not continuing to carry out the law? He's saying, no, certainly not. On the contrary, I'm a sinner if I try to rebuild a system that tries to prove my worth to God, a system of trying to earn God's favor. Now, the Old Testament law is good. It gives us examples of how our behavior should be when we're living by faith in Christ. But its real purpose is to show us how far short we fall from the perfection and standard of God and how much we need the sacrifice and substitute of Jesus Christ. Verse 19 Paul says, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me, so I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. He's saying, I changed my effort from trying to live to keep the Old Testament law, and I moved my effort toward trusting Christ to give me the power to live for God. So how do I live for God? We are saved by faith. How do I live by faith? How do I live for God? He tells us in verse 20. He says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. I, I die to self. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I live for God by allowing my old self to be crucified with Christ. doesn't mean I kill my body. It, it just means I surrender. I surrender the control of who I am to Christ. My flesh is no longer the king who decides what's best for me. I surrender control to Jesus Christ. It's a conscious uh, decision, an acceptance of Christ as the master. So the effort and work of my life changes from trying to do good and, and be right, the effort and work of my life moves toward knowing Christ and allowing Him to change who I am. His Spirit changes who I am. I no longer trust in self. I place my trust in Jesus. Now, why would I do that? Why did I do that? If you look at the last phrase of verse 20, it tells us why says, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. 
I can still remember almost 50 years ago when that truth began to penetrate my mind, the truth that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me, the truth that my sin separated me from God, and I, and I felt the guilt. And I heard that this punishment that Jesus took on the cross was what I deserved, and I didn't, I didn't want that punishment. I didn't want to receive what happened to Jesus, but I began to understand that when Jesus took that punishment on the cross, He was doing that for me in my place, and that love overwhelmed me, still overwhelms me today, that a God would love me that much to give His only Son to die for me so that I could have life with Him. And it wasn't too long after that that I admitted that, yes, I had sinned, and I believed that Jesus' death on the cross was for me, and I believed that God raised Him from the dead. And as much as I understood, I surrendered the control of my life to Jesus Christ. But ever since then, still learning how to surrender control of my life daily to Jesus Christ. And I began learning how to trust Him through reading His words in the Bible, His, His love letter to us. And I began asking Him about everything. John 17, 3, Jesus said this. He said, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. The way to eternal life is to know Jesus, to know Him. In verse 21 of Galatians 2, Paul said, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law, the Old Testament law, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. Either we depend on Christ or we don't. If keeping the Old Testament law or or any set of rules or rituals could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. So if we try to add our own works to justify ourselves before God, then we're saying the death of Christ wasn't enough. And thank the Lord, it was enough. Now, we don't see Peter's response to Paul's rebuke uh, in this book, but it seems that Peter listened and heeded to Paul's words. In fact, in 2 Peter 3.15, Peter addressed Paul as a beloved brother who has wisdom from God. So, I believe Paul's words to Peter helped bring unity and truth back to the early church. Paul was basically combating the lie that Satan's been saying from the beginning that he used on Adam and Eve. You don't need to depend on God. You can depend on yourself, and you can take steps to be equal with Him. That's the lie of Satan. So I ask you and, and ask all of us, are you trusting in your own wisdom, your own performance, your methods to find life on this earth and to enjoy eternal life? Or are you trusting the grace of God shown to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. All we can earn on our own power, whether it's good things or bad things, all we can earn on our own power is separation from God. 
But that verse goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers a free gift, and the only way we can get it is by receiving it, not by earning it. The free gift of God is eternal life. It's great news that we can find eternal life simply by receiving what Christ has done, by trusting in what Christ has done. The next few weeks, we're going to see how do we continue to live in that faith, not by trying to justify ourselves by works of the law, but how do we live by daily trust and faith in God? That's where life as it could be is. Our care volunteers are coming now, and they'll be in front of the stage or out in the connection room, care connection room in the concourse, and they will be available to talk with you further about this, uh, to answer any questions, or, or simply to pray with you if you've got any prayer needs. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much for this uh, reminder that we can have life on this earth and life eternally through trust in you. We thank you for the love that you have shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that your spirit will continue to show us how we live by that trust in you. We thank you for what you'll do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways that you can connect with Christians at Brookwood, or if you just have questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.